Welcome to another episode of Dead Headspace. I am Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my friend Candace Nola. Say hello, Candace. Hello. Unfortunately, Hi. today we can uh, not be joined by Brennan. He'll be with us next week. And we are talking with Lloyd Devereaux Richards and Marguerite Richards. Say hello. Hello. Nice to meet you, both of you. You guys, Hi. too. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Um. So before your publicist reached out, I had known about you guys for a little bit, and I was really just like moved by uh, Marguerite. I know you run the TikTok, and the <laughs> we, me and my son started playing that John Lennon song, "Beautiful Boy," after because of that video. Like I, I knew of it before, but we just took to it, and I, I was like, "That's so cool!" Because I connect with, <clears throat> in particular, fathers. And they're, you know, that are family men and uh, are writers, because that's what I am. So your video has gotten over 57 million views, which is, that's insane. Sold over 100,000 copies for Stone Maidens. Awesome book. Like, I read it, ate it up. Um, I just want to know what that, <laughs> what did you think would happen going in, Marguerite? What were your hopes um and then after everything exploded how's it feel now so i'm actually wondering what you think marguerite first and then i want to hear from uh lloyd yeah i my hope uh was that like you know i didn't have a number in my head that but like a few people would see it and read it um I know my dad wrote a beautiful book and what really inspired me was he kept writing like he'd written the sequel before any of this happened a year ago and he was so excited about it. And I was just like, you know, who just keeps going when, and you know, his first book wasn't really known at all. It wasn't being read. So yeah, when I made the video, I just was sort of, in, I don't even know why I, like, I was just like, oh, you know, I know about book talk, maybe, you know, he can get his name out there a little. So we, I put together that video. It's like, I can't remember 14 seconds or something. And when I went to bed that night, there was like, 300 views after a couple hours. And I think two people, one person said they actually followed we had no, it was the first video. There were no followers. It was a new account and they followed us and they said something like, Oh, I'd like to read this. And I thought like great success, you know, right there. I was like, someone's interested. And, uh, and he didn't know I made an account or any of this. He doesn't really like get TikTok and stuff. So when I woke up in the morning, there was like 700,000 views and not just 700,000 views they were like really engaged like we had like I think 5,000 followers by then like overnight Whoa. and um <laughs> everyone just saying I'm going to buy the book I'm going to buy the book and within two days his book was number one on Amazon like it was just so fast he didn't even know when I showed him it that's the I think the second or third video we posted it was his reaction and so I it, it's I was not expecting that at all to say the least <laughs> Just to for because we have a lot of writers and readers that listen to this podcast, just to put it into perspective, um, friend of the show, Don Winslow, who's super well known in the crime and thriller world, he for his last book before he retires, which is in a trilogy, he, he was talking about how his book got in the I think it's like the top 50 for Amazon, and he's been doing it for decades, like as a super well-known writer and for you to go number one like i don't know how often that has occurred but that that cannot be that's gonna be beyond rare 
Um, it, it's like, it's really, a, to this day, we don't fully, like, I, I, we can't even like fully understand it still to this day, I don't think, because, and we stayed at number one for like a month too. It wasn't just like a quick burn. It like kept going. So yeah, way beyond the expectation of a video I ever had. <laughs> for, for me, and then Lloyd, please jump in and then Candice, uh, for me, why I connected to it, which I feel like has to be universal is you can like you, your captions it's clearly a, a child that or a kid that loves their parent and lloyd you're such a family man that like it's i can understand being selfish and as a writer and taking the time to do what you want but like it doesn't seem like you chose that route which is amazing you you chose family first and that's beautiful and i i, I feel like that's probably why it exploded because you're you got a beautiful soul and your stone maiden is just it's i hope you guys are cool with me swearing but so fucking good man it's a wonderful book um and i would say honestly and i don't use this in a hyperbolic way i can't say that word um i love thomas harris's hamill lecter trail uh trilogy and it's dude it's right up it's like on that same tier it's it's honestly that good um lloyd what's your experience been like with this so far well uh as you just covered with marguerite it's been uh phenomenal i i never you know i i have to say that i i was very uh lucky i felt to even sell a book um you know to amazon um back when i did in 2012 um i i worked uh, as a journeyman back office lawyer for a company, you know, working for a long, long time. And I had uh, weekends and nights uh, after, you know, having meals with the kids um, to work, you know, on the book. And uh, so I didn't really know where I was going with it. I didn't know how to write a book. Um, I had ideas, but, uh, and I made a lot, a lot of mistakes. I really didn't know what I was doing. So I think part of writing is, is, you know, taking a stab at something and getting feedback on it, um, which, as you know, in the writing world, you have to uh, find an editor. You have to pay this person who you entrust, you know, your work to. So it took me a long time to figure it all out, uh, the whole process of putting together a thriller um, and all the little subparts, you know, character development, and um, it was a journey. Uh, it still is a journey, quite frankly. It's sort of like, you know, you pick up a paintbrush in colors, you start out in one place and you you evolve as you learn more about the use of color and as your mind uh, thinks on it. So I know I'm getting a little bit abstract here, but I, it's hard for me to appreciate how amazing Marguerite's short TikTok video uh, of me that last winter, the, the impact of it. It's it's just very hard to understand it. I'm I'm very fortunate. I feel uh, you know unbelievably excited about what's happened. It's opened the door for me, really, as a writer. And I mean, I, I'm just gonna throw this out there. I don't think that's an age thing, man. Like it, it, I think anyone could say I don't understand because it happens so quickly and. Over a hundred thousand copies. Like I don't see that on besides like, you know, James Patterson's or Karen Slaughter or, or names like that. I, I don't see 
hundred thousand copies or, or something to that extreme on covers anymore. But I would see, you know, I love older paperbacks. You'd see that on like an Ira Levin uh, book or something that big, like, you know, Rosemary's baby step for wives, something like that nature. So that just to, again, put that into perspective, how, how <laughs> uniquely rare this is. Candace, please jump in. I'm ramble, rambling. You're rambling, but blah, blah. <laughs> it is rare because he sold that many in an extremely limited amount of time. <laughs> Most of those books you just named sold that over a period of years, and we're talking less than a year. Good point. And TikTok is hit or miss. Everybody knows that it's driven by a number of different factors. And it all really comes down to who saw the video, how many followers they have, who shared it, who reposted it, how many people they have. And it just exploded. And I think one of the things I really like about your video in particular and the result is the fact that it kind of shows that the world is a much kinder place than we're shown on TV and on the news. Because I think lately it's been really easy to get lost in all the bad stuff happening around the world. And there's a lot of it. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of really bad things that need to be on the news right now. But I think sometimes we're so heavily saturated with all the bad, all the bad, all the bad, that it's easy to lose sight of how much good there really is and how many good people there really are out there and that are really interested in good people doing good things. And I think that was the real outcome of your TikTok. The book being phenomenal is just a perk, I think, because it really showed you like what the world is capable of when a group of people bend together and do something nice for a well-deserving person. And it's just, it's amazing. Like, I know the rest of us are out here like, well, if I can just get that one, <laughs> you know, but 98% of us never, never, never will get that reaction from a TikTok video because of the algorithm and the luck of the draw. But sometimes you get that rare gem and it just explodes. And for you guys, it was well worth it. It was a very well, well, deserved explosion of something that needed to be seen, needed to be read, needed to be in the hands of the readers that are out here. And I mean, just well done on that and making the video itself. Um, I'm rambling for that as well, because that, that was the one thing that really struck me every bit as much as you and your story and the novel itself is just that outpouring of support that you guys just overnight just overnight it's like astounding so that being said Lloyd <laughs> what I know there was a video made of your reaction but can you kind of speak to what that was like, like what that initial reaction was like and how you felt when she told you, <laughs> look what happened. 
It's, uh, yeah, thank you, Candice. I think, and I want to just say that what you just said about the world and the way we are fed the news and it's it's doom and gloom so often. I think you're absolutely right because we all have the same outlets that we can see, the TV, you know, whatever the uh, the uh, national news is and obviously what's happening in the world. And we don't get so many uh, feel-good stories or human interest stories like um, I've got a good friend who drove from here to L.A. and on the way met all these people that helped, you know, average Americans because of different situations that she found herself in. She was in an RV and she had a flat tire in one place in Texas. And this guy went all out for her, just a complete stranger to help her. And, you know, those kind of things happen to people in America and we don't know about it. Now, my reaction when Marguerite showed me that video i first of all like she said don't have a tiktok account and i just didn't really understand it but then you know you see on tiktok all these comments as you she scrolled down the page i just was bowled over by these comments people it made me feel like my goodness there are all these young people because i know there's a lot of young people on tiktok that are reading and enjoying my book and it just to see that happen in real time with comments uh, was so bolstering. It made me feel, it was just like a bright light went on in the room. Uh, and I couldn't believe that my daughter was able to do something like that on, on this uh, platform. Um, I couldn't either. <laughs> it's really hard to understand. Like you just, I think you did a good job. I think February was very bleak when that was posted. It was very cold up here in Vermont where we live. And um, she posted that, I think, in the early evening on Fe in February. And um, like like she just said, uh, something, it, it, it touched a lot of hearts. Well, one thing I think also, this is just a guess, because obviously I don't know for sure, but um, it, I didn't just like show my dad's book and say, because he wrote a really good book. I could have just, you know, talked about the book and what the book's about. But I think people fell in love with him, yeah. you know, this this day he's yeah. so cute and like sweet and he's obviously like I sometimes almost feel guilty saying like what a good dad he is because we get so many comments and I read every single one of like people who didn't have a dad for many different reasons and it always breaks my heart a little but I people call uh they say he's their TikTok dad oh. so huh. I want I hope people know every time I do it it's to share that love it's not to mm. be like Oh, I won the dad lottery, you know, like, yeah, no. And I, I, I am so glad that they, they feel loved by him in a way. And it's, I'm just glad that we can share that because that's what the world needs, you know? Right. I think they connect yeah. with a TikTok dad, their TikTok dad, you mm -hmm. know? That's one uh, of the I, I yeah, showed, I, like I showed my, uh, at the doctor's office, I, I showed them, hey, I'm talking to this this guy and his daughter and i'm like it's a really good book and she goes uh can i can I have a link and she saw a picture of your amazon picture and she thought that you were adorable man and i'm like he, he is i've seen a bunch of their videos like that's the dad i strive to be that i just you know the little i know of you i i think that you're for people that even have i've had i have a good dad i love my dad but you're just very sweet, and so so are you, Marguerite. You can tell, um, just from the 
what is it like 20 second videos you have uh i did want to comment on something because i was watching it again today when i made a post and i probably didn't notice it because i didn't like before uh until now i didn't read maidens of the cave and after reading it i noticed in the first video that you posted that you had that frog poster um let's not obviously not, not spoil uh either of your book but are you surrounded by things in your in the worlds of your books at your writing desk yes that, that's a good observation you uh, that is a good observation. of yours uh a lot of this stuff uh that i pull into the uh design of the book uh it, i have a background which i was always fascinated with nature um mm. i was raised by my grandmother my my mother died when i was young and my father uh had uh was unable to uh take care of me and my sister and my grandmother his mother uh, raised us and she was very um artistic and uh a real nature lover and, and really got me early on reading and, uh, you know, going to places, uh, you know, out of her interest in nature that got me very interested. And uh, I think that that shows in sort of the uh, location of my books and in the um, um, sort of the focus sometimes, like, like you were just saying, a maidens of the cave I, that, that came out also from, uh, living eight years in Indiana, Southern Indiana, where there are yeah. a lot of caves. And I would take Marguerite and her brother uh, into them in the summer where it gets very hot in Indiana. Uh, caves stay a natural 54 degrees. And I'm not I'm not one that drags through cracks in the ground. Uh, these would be commercial type caves where you can walk safely and they're lighted, but they are cool. And that feels nice when it's 100 degrees outside. So yeah, the frogs, as you pointed out, um, they're a part of uh, my life in the past. Um, and I make them, uh, uh, they sort of color, uh, the book as, as in stone maidens, there's, there's things there, elements in that book. I, I had a background in anthropology in college and, uh, that came, comes out in that first book. Um, as well as the fact that that book is also located in Southern Indiana, we haven't really talked about that so much, but maybe you'll get into that later. Like what, what the spark of that book, what, what might've ignited it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was. Cause there is one, one of the videos that I recall is, um, it was you walking, just kind of showing different locations and, and Marguerite put in the captions, like this is based on real events, but I will stop there. Cause I want to backtrack to stone maidens, um, take it away in any direction. Uh, Want to tell us the synopsis and then maybe what what kind of inspired that? Yeah. Yeah. The um again, I was uh I was in law school in southern Indiana and I continued to live there and work for a judge for four years uh before I moved to Vermont. And um somebody I knew <clears throat> in Bloomington, there had been a series of unsolved crimes involving co-eds. There's a lot of hardwood forests in southern Indiana with lots of trails. And this person I knew uh, suffered a terrible attack hiking by herself. And um, I talked to her afterwards. She made an incredible recovery. She was very badly injured, uh, maybe left uh, 
by the uh, attacker uh, thinking he, she might be uh, dead. And um, I spoke with one of the detectives about this, and um, they believe that she survived an attack that several other co-eds uh, did not, and they had. It was an unsolved. Uh, crime in her case and in their cases. And I think later on when I moved to Vermont and had a desire to write a story, that this one impacted me so much. It just, um, again, I would take the kids on walks in, in the woods in Southern Indiana, the ravines and the caves, and that with this person I knew that uh, survived this attack and went on in her life, and became something um, was a tremendous inspiration, and it just sort of happened, almost sort of like as if as if you're dreaming a daydream. Like, what was the content that I wanted my book to cover? And it sort of grew out of that. And initially, the book was a little bit different, but it evolved as I learned more and more how to tell a story and develop characters. The characters evolved the book, if you will. Uh, once I had a strong female lead, like Christine Prusik, uh, the woman that is the main character in the book, in both books, um, and that also comes somewhat because I was raised by my grandmother. She was a very strong woman. She was artistic. She was smart. She read a lot. She um, was a very private person. And... Um, I think that was an inspiration to me for a strong female lead that I was, I grew up under the roof of someone that was a strong female lead. And then this incident that I just mentioned happened and this woman rose above this attack and became a professional in her field. And I just was very inspired by that. And, um, and again, I chose that I, I thought that a female lead in a crime novel uh, was a natural fit because I believe women have more uh, a stronger intuition and uh, are often uh, just better able in interviewing um, to get the story from various people. Uh, that's just my prejudice, uh, but I do I know there are a number of other writers in the crime uh, thriller field that that have female leads. I just happen to be a man and I have taken that approach to it. I'm right there with you, man. I yeah. think. <laughs> Not saying it's because you just said, but I think women are easily the strongest of the two, uh, you know, the two sexes. So right there with you. Um, Christine's mother, is that based on your grandmother? Well, not directly, um, but that relationship, it is interesting, um, you know, that um I did. I know somebody was I was close with whose mother was uh, an immigrant, and some of these things in life you pull for, from your own experience observing. Uh, in this case, it was a daughter uh, of somebody I, I knew and went to school with, and her mother was an immigrant. And in the house, she insisted on speaking Polish to her daughter. She had three daughters, hmm. and uh, I've got a friend here in Vermont who. So one of he and his five brothers, their mother was from Spain originally. And at home, she insisted, this is in Burlington, Vermont, she was only going to speak Spanish to her sons. And they're all fluent. They're bilingual. 
And I was really impressed by this woman I knew. Her mother spoke, and so that this she was sort of a girlfriend. She knew Polish from childhood. And um, so I think, you know, those I pulled from that experience of my own to create Christine's mother relationship there. Nice. So since we're talking about the first one, why don't you go ahead and tell us about part two? Okay, now you're talking Maidens of the Cave. Um, mm -hmm. As my daughter mentioned, I did continue to write uh, because by that time, um, as after learning the process, and I had some ideas for the sequel, and uh, my wife encouraged me, look, uh, you know, what are you going to do with your time? But by this time, I was re retired from my company job, so I had more time to focus on it. But I have to be honest with you, um, it's a very uh, treacherous thing being a writer because you don't know, you know, you're writing in a black box so often, you know, you and the computer. And um, you do get input from if you share what you've written a chapter or two with somebody from an editorial side, you know, you get some impression that way. But uh, a lot of the time, you know, it's um, it's just you and the computer and you have doubts and I had doubts and um, could I even do it? Could, would it be as good as the first book? You know, I was concerned about all kinds of things, but the fact of the matter is um, it's a process. And if you enjoy the process, you don't control the outcome. I never can tell somebody to buy my book or publish my book. That's the thing with a writing, with a writer's life. You can only uh, do what you can do and it may or may not uh, come to pass that, that the book gets into the publishing world. You know, that's out of my control. I can do the best I can do and listen. I think one of the things uh, I've found in life, um, I had a, tr a problem with alcohol. And I I started, you know, working with it. And, and, and why I bring that up is it allowed me to listen better to other people and take suggestions. And a lot of writing is about taking suggestions. I don't necessarily have a good idea. I might try an idea and go in a certain direction, but I don't know about you, but if you've read um, Stephen King's uh, book, The the Stand, there's two versions. When he got famous, mm -hmm. the unedited version, he got published on top of the edited version. I've read both versions. And I have to say, from just my own learning process of writing, uh, the edited version moves the story, the main story, more uh, coherently for a reader. You know, you yeah. don't get off of this. So I had to learn that process myself mm -hmm. in my own writing. And um, in book two, I, I, it was a continuation of learning all the things I thought I had learned in book one. In other words... I tended to make a whole a whole lot of mistakes all over again. <laughs> it's like I didn't learn anything, um, and and I that just is part of the process. And uh, I've tried to just take it in stride because, like we all know, I mean, like this has been a phenomenal success for me that my daughter really brought by this uh, TikTok video, which I still don't understand how that works. Did you get a book deal because of that? The TikTok 
did that cause it? I believe that. Oh, it, yes, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I mean, publishers uh, yeah. don't really understand this probably as well as my daughter does, you know, this media platform, because traditional publishers don't seem to that that's not something they're familiar with. Mm. I mean, they might have social media, a person that monitors it, but this is a relatively new area, right? Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I Did you get a two or three book deal out of that? That's what I was kind of curious about. Oh, um, well, just Maidens of the Cave so far. Yeah, I'm working on a sequel, but no, nice. it's in process. Not a sequel, but a third book. Mm -hmm. Is it, can you say much as uh, as far as like, is it a, a continuation of Christine Prusik? Yes. Nice. It, it, she's the lead and Sheriff McFerrin is in it. But there's a little bit of a, <laughs> I'll say this about it. There's a little twist. We're not, no, we're no longer entirely in Indiana. Okay. There's a lot of uh, action that takes place in both Vermont and Canada. Oh, good. It's moving a little. My um, my little I'm I'm a New Englander. I'm from Mass, but my friends have a place out in East Corinth. It's where they shot uh, Beetlejuice, and um, going out there, it, I don't know what the population is. So much greenery, so many trails. It kind of fits the excuse me, the locales that were in Stone Maidens. And uh, it's just, there's, you see seldomly very few people. You don't see many people there. And it's kind of creepy. Like, it's beautiful, but it's creepy. So that's what I'm thinking, because um, in East Corinth, they have, in some places, both a, a Canadian flag and an American flag, which I, I wasn't too familiar with seeing that. That was kind of weird. So I'm really, really curious what you're going to do with this. Um, <laughs> you have to wait and see. Have to wait and see. Well, I've lived here now for 40 years, so I have a, a lot of understanding here. And I like, as my daughter knows, taking pictures. She posts some of them. Uh, I drive around on the dirt roads. Uh, over half the roads in Vermont are dirt. That's true. They're like 60% 60 <laughs> of Vermont roads are dirt. And so if you get into that East Corinth area, and we went over there too, um, but, uh, and that's a funny story in itself, mm -hmm. but uh, we, we missed the, the Beetlejuice came and went pretty quick. The Oh, the sequel? What's that? You're talking about the sequel? Yes, or... about the sequel, yes. Uh, but um, yes, the countryside and the various seasons here, you know, we've got different seasons, mud season. <laughs> that it's notorious up here it's awful it's awful and then we have stick season which you've got down your way too but up here when you see the maples leaves drop i mean it is stick season and um yeah the it's i like the fact that it's it's a it's a uh it's a harsh climate i mean you know you may have heard that this summer uh montpelier got hit with a terrible flood and we're still recovering from that. I mean, the whole city was flooded. Wow. Yeah, and it's something that has happened before, and it's a real problem. And we're a small community, 8,500 people, the smallest capital in the United States. Hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, we have two rivers that converge right in the center of town. But th this state does become a part of book three. That's wonderful. Um, so... Please say pass if you don't feel comfortable with this. But uh, what age were you when you got uh, 
published the first time. I know that was 2012. So I think that's worth knowing that. that was, I don't know if we uh, talked that, about that. would have been 62. Okay. All right. So then you're in your 70s when this blows up. I'm wondering, because yes. there, you know, there's cyclical questions that come up for writers. And sometimes it's people that feel like their time passed and they're in their 30s or 40s, which sounds insane. But <laughs> can you, talking about offering hope to the world, um, can you give us maybe a little, uh, maybe advice or shed a little light on what you think writers should do or perceive no matter what age they are? If your wits are still with you and I've got friends, uh, you know, I'm 75 and I'm, I'm still pretty clear headed, but I'm forgetful, you know, like, but like we just pointed out, I was 62 and so maidens got published. I've been working at it for quite a few years, as my daughter has said. Um, but I, I, I mean, it's one of those things you can do as long as you've got the mind to do it, you know, and I, I don't think, 20, 30, I mean, a lot of the best writers in the country are into their 60s and 70s writing some of their best work. Um, You're never too old. You know, Cormac yeah. McCarthy wrote right up until he died at 89. I'm, I'm not suggesting I'm anything close to him in his league, but uh, Stephen King is, is, is my age, and he's very, he's been prolific from his 20s right up to now. Um, yeah. I just encourage everyone to stay positive because, you know, one of my editors I work with who's published, um, and then he wasn't published. In other words, he's gone he's gone from being unpublished to published to unpublished again. But he's just always referred to me to refer this process to there's two valleys, Lloyd. There's the valley of writing, and there's this thing called the valley of publishing. And every now and then in the valley of writing, a vine manages to find its way over. Uh, the range and get into the valley of publishing and you just don't know uh, when or when that might happen and that's uh, one of the big things of our account like a, a lot of the comments I see is like it's never too late you're never too old and nothing's wrong you're not off schedule like it's perfect it is yeah. you know not to fight that so much not to focus on that stuff so much which we all do but that's one thing my dad's inspired a lot is like, look at this. I mean, we, he didn't know this was going to happen at 75, you know? Yeah. It's perfect. I'm wondering as, as his daughter, cause you guys are clearly close. Um, I'm wondering what's it, what's inspired from you? Like the, has it given you, has he, I don't know how else to word this, but has this always been kind of how you felt about your dad where he's always made you feel this way or, or, is there like a new, even enhanced outlook with how you look at life after all this? It's always been there. And I think this is kind of why it's happened. And it's what's cool about it is I get to share his message and love with the world now. But he's always, I've always, it's instilled in me that I'm enough. I'm not behind. There's nothing wrong with me, even though I still think those things sometimes. He's always there to remind me and pick me up and like, it's okay you know, you're not off track. And I love that because of this, other people are getting that benefit from him as well. Cause he, I've never heard my dad complain about this. Like 
when he started writing in his 40s and it took 14 years to write a book and then he published and it took 10 or 11 years till it blew up. He was positive through that whole process, you know, and he was never like down about it. So that through osmosis and direct messaging, <laughs> yes, it's always been there. And this has just amplified it like a hundred times. That's that wonderful. was going to be my next question there with that time frame. And then you also have job and working and family and kids and all of that. And then year after year of you working on the book and then publishing the book and then not having the results that you wanted for so long. How did you maintain that hope and that like motivation to just keep at this? And my second question to kind of branch off of that too was, did you always want to be a writer or was this something that just kind of struck you sometime after the fact and you were just like, I'm going to do this? <laughs> Good questions. Um, let's take the second one first. I used to write poetry for years, not to publish. I just enjoyed it. I used a typewriter then. I didn't get a computer. Even at my job, we didn't have personal computers until 1985, 86. And a lot of us, you know, they were clunky. Remember the green screen? It was yeah. difficult. And I didn't understand <laughs> computer language. And uh, my kids would come up when I got this thing. I The company had a program for employees, and I got one for the home. And um, <laughs> they would sit beside me doodling. And I, I would try to use this thing that was very slow, and, I mean, you could see that you hit the, the keyboard and you'd see the thing react, the cursor. You know, it was really kind of funny. Um, but but I just think that um, I did enjoy, I have a portable typewriter upstairs. I would write poems all through college and even in my 20s and 30s. And then this, I started, I you know, maybe it's part of the human condition. In my early 40s, and I've heard this said by other people, we all have this feeling in us, a desire um, to uh, write about our life or or to explore that using words. And and I I I did that initially with poetry, but um, I found a guy. We have a local college here, the Vermont College of Fine Arts, that has a writing program, and that's how I met this first guy that I call my editor, and I would uh, work with him. And I had I started writing these little vignettes, hmm. the things that came to my mind, and they were unconnected or they were loosely connected. And then I, after I'd written a number of them, like thirty or forty, um, we started to try to think about well, how can these hang together? And 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 so this um, that's how it kind of slowly evolved, and uh, for me, sort of a writing down the bones. Um, practice and uh, and I really didn't know what I was going to write ultimately. I still have a lot of those original vignettes because I wrote them out longhand because the computer was so difficult for me to figure out. Of course, now things are the software is sophisticated, but back then it wasn't. So I found myself relying on a pencil and paper, and um. And even in early drafts of Stone Maidens, 
I wrote it longhand, the chapters. I, you know, because by then, even in the mid '90s, you know, computers were a little were better, but I didn't have a Mac because everybody at the company had a PC, so I didn't really understand how the Mac language worked. But now I have a Mac, and um, so the, you know, a lot of it is just I think the technologies facilitated me as it's facilitated all of us. I think in the pandemic, everyone has a PC. Everybody probably started trying to to write a little bit, or a lot of people did. Um, I've sort of lost, lost myself. Yeah. So the second question, the first question was, how did you maintain that sense of hope and wanting to like continue on year after year? I think I had that conversation a lot with um, my children and my wife in terms of um, being frustrated. Like, uh, do I really want to spend six hours trying to figure this chapter out? <laughs> I do think yeah. writing is, you know, and I think this is something we all face in life. It You have to kind of, uh, there's going to be pain. And I think that's true of anything you do in life. Hmm. It, you know, when I first tried to learn how to ski up here, it was miserable. You know, I'd fall all the time, hurt myself, and I, you know, it's very frustrating. Um, and I think any endeavor has to have um, difficulty because that's the only way I've ever learned ha how to do something uh, is take take a hit, uh, have somebody read something, and. Um, and tell me what they see that's good and, and what I'm doing that's a little uh, not really helpful to what the point I'm trying to make in this chapter. And then for me to think it through again and to, you know, let go of the hurt and the pain, because I think we're if we're sensitive and I think writers are sensitive, uh, criticism is is not always something that feels good. But mm -hmm. on the other hand, the more I'm able to take suggestions, I've realized and I know then you have to trust the person that's giving you the suggestion. Um, so you have to uh, find somebody that you believe has an understanding of what you're writing and trying to achieve enough. And they have enough expertise to see in reading to know that what you're trying to do uh, works and what isn't working for you. And I would listen to some of those suggestions and I would change things. Um. I can't tell you how many drafts of stove means I wrote. I could send you a picture in my attic. There's a right by the chimney. There's a cold attic we have in Vermont. It's a lot of old houses uh, have cold attics. In other words, the second floor is insulated of the house, the ceiling of the second floor. But you open this insulated door and you go up to the attic where you store things and it's freezing cold. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where I would do my writing in, in that uh, closet in the attic, I have two towers of manuscripts of well, 14, 15 years of getting it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Not wrong. Practice. No, not Learning, right. developing. Practice. Yes. It's never yes. wrong. It's never wrong. Never, never wrong. But you have. I had to go through, I had to make every one of those mistakes, I yeah. guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think we all do. Um, <laughs> I know I made a lot when I published my first one. And there's a part of me now that while I'm pleased with it, 
And I know a lot of people have read it and they like it. I know in the five years since I've written it that I've improved a lot, a great deal. And there's a big part of me that wants to go back and rewrite the first book. <laughs> but I'm like, no, because that kind of shows my journey along the way, you know, from the first to where I am now. And I don't know, I think I'm up to 24 now in the last life. <laughs> but not all of them were like, novels I have a lot of like shorter ones in there and things but I've learned a lot and I've improved a lot but I think that first one really speaks to who I was then and if you read through to what I've written now it just really shows the things that I've learned and how I have improved along the way and that other part of me doesn't want to change that because that's my journey from there to here. And I think that speaks volumes to those that come after. You don't have to be the number one writer in the world the moment you start. You just have to start. That's right. Going. So yeah, that's great. It's a, it's a real process. It was a real thrill when uh, Thomas and Mercer wanted to, get to to buy my book. It's kind of like what Marguerite did on TikTok for me. I just, I got a phone call from my agent in New York and it was like, uh, I couldn't believe it. I mean, it was like unbelievable after that long process. So exciting. It was so exciting. I mean, just to be published to me, I found I didn't need to be, I knew I was just a new writer and, mm -hmm. and that I was older than a lot of people. Uh, but there are a lot of first-time writers that are my age. It's not mm. that unusual. Um, no. But it was a thrill to me and an honor, an honor, because mm. it was, uh, you know, I knew that this was going to be a tough road. Mm. And uh, anyway, uh, you're right. The journey, I like what you said, Candice. Uh, I I started with one, and now I'm working on something, and it, it is an evolution, and my character is evolving a little bit, uh, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, a good way. I heard. Uh, I okay. forget who's. I forgot who said it, but they were basically saying that uh, a lot of us say, "Well, when I hit this point, I'll be happy," or "When I hit the next, you know, tier, I'll be happy." But that makes you usually not enjoy the journey. So it's really interesting to hear Marguerite and you talk about how you were until you hit the huge success and. There's a lot of us that will never hit that success. Um, my opinion is not everyone's meant to be a writer, just like everyone's not meant to be a doctor. Some people don't have the discipline, what it takes. And it, like Candace said, it takes years. And there's a lot of expectations for yeah. that. We, I did it myself that we all put on ourselves for the first story or the first, uh, the first book you write. Um, I just got a few more questions. And Marguerite, um, I didn't come across this. Are you, do you write as well? No. And as, as you're talking, you said not everyone's meant to be a doctor or a writer. I thought for years I was supposed to be, because I grew up watching my dad write. I hate writing. Yeah. <laughs> writer. Uh, and That's... I finally let myself, you know, be okay with that. Cause I was like, yeah. maybe supposed to be a writer because yeah. my hero is a writer and then it's like no no I'm not a writer and that's okay and 
Um, I'm a teacher. I love kids. I love teaching. Aww. But no, I didn't get the writing gene at all. And so you're right. Like, you know, uh, it wasn't meant for me. And that's okay. I I kind of pushed myself through it for a lot of years. And it didn't make me happy at all. You got the TikTok gene. Yeah, I got the TikTok gene. <laughs> that's awesome. I got I got plenty of teachers in my, my family, too. I, I actually was close to becoming one myself. But uh, that never happened for me. I, I guess I wasn't meant to do that. But I'm wondering... <laughs> Lloyd for prologues is that is that something is that like your kind of your format or is that just how the first two happen to be uh put together um yeah I I think uh that's right I think that it just happened to be that way I in the first case I was coming from so many years of drafting and redrafting stone maidens so, of course, in the scope of things, I had a wider appreciation of all the different characters that were involved in Stone Maidens. And so prologue was workable. Um, you know, as you know, in that book, uh, the epilogue to the prologue uh, features the same individual. Mm. And um, it's it just happened to, to work itself to evolve to that uh, design. Um, the second book, uh, yeah, you know, I'm really not sure where, whether that's something that's uh, old fashioned, uh, the need to do a prologue. I mean, prologues can be different things. And uh, in this book that I'm working on now, I don't think I've got a prologue. Maybe it, it will eventually have one, but I don't know that it's important. Um, I think it's there's a starting place and an ending place. And in, in, in Stone Maidens, it's almost like the end and the beginning. It's like a circle. Mm. Um, in some in some respect, I don't want to give away one of the key issues that's going on beyond. I will just say this about Stomains. In the process of trying to find an agent for the book, uh, an earlier version of the book, I, I got a response from one of the agents that is unexpected, uh, meaning um, one of the big features in that uh, first book involved um, you know, two characters in particular, and she wanted to help me get a better grasp of that topic, the phenomenon. And so she pointed me toward an author uh, who did a, um, wrote a, a sort of a, um, a uh, pile, he, he did, did an expose uh, on the whole topic of the phenomenon. And uh, she said, you should read this book. And I did. And it led me, it had a, a big bibliography at the end. And it led me into a mm. much better understanding of my mm -hmm. characters. And so that led to a much improved version. So the research that I did. Um, but it I, it just happened that I took so long writing it, uh, Pat, that I just, uh, the evolution happened almost like what Candace was saying, it was like I'd written so many versions of Stone Maidens, and the ultimate one that was sold was just at the end of the pile. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I won't be, I'll just keep this short. Uh, first like six years that started really being like, I want to be a novelist. I wrote, I don't know, eight novels, and they're all no one. Most people haven't seen most of the stuff done. I've done like a, I've hit like a million words, but I had to have by now, but 
it's interesting because for me, um, most of it's on uh, several hard drives, and um, I pick a, and I pick apart. I like Frankenstein old manuscripts if it applies to something. I'm like, this could work. So that's really neat to to hear you say that, man. Uh, that you wrote different versions, and you know, I don't know how many times it was, but I know that like Thomas Edison didn't get the light bulb right the first time you know like uh every inventor or every writer or whatever it is it, it takes time it takes practice and as you said it's going to be painful you're gonna have growing pains um i do want to know and i do want to stress let's not go too deep into this but i do want to know why frogs why frogs for for book two uh my grandmother um there's a scene in that book and uh, she, and I actually have the creature uh, and it used to be on her shelf. If you remember that scene in the library, uh, mm -hmm. there's a frog and it's big and it's, um, and she told me to lick those, uh, a patch on its, but this is a stuffed frog. So it's a leather. It looks like a little football. Yeah. And she knew there'd be a reaction that some of the toxin, uh, it, it wasn't a fatal kind of a thing, but that always stayed with me. And I've even got that frog in my uh, house on a shelf. I have never made a child lick the frog. Um, it had these patches on it's either really side ugly. of its head. It's very, <laughs> and um, that's just how it protects itself from being uh -huh. eaten. And that led to my natural intrigue with uh, frogs. And the the number one expert on the particular frog in the, in the book, he's no longer alive, was in Washington, D.C., and he worked for NIH. And I called him once. This is going back. But he was still there, and I, I got someone to transfer me to him, and he and I chatted on the phone. And he led me to some of his articles, and uh, I read them, and that's what kind of grew into a, a larger understanding of uh, frogs. I uh, that's really interesting. I this is weird timing, but I just two months ago in October got a short story accepted for the indie publisher that I really like, and it's because <laughs> I heard a story about an interview about uh, how. Some dogs will in Florida lick uh sugar cane or cane toads. Cane toads. Cane for, yeah, and uh they, they have those toxins and small ones die from the poisons and big ones get they go on a trip. I wrote a story about that in the dog's point of view. So I just that interesting. I, I didn't realize that until we were talking about it just now. That is it's a That's weird thing. There are people that get like addicted to um the effects of it and i've seen videos and it like it knocks your ass on the ground and you can't you're kind of immobile can't really do much it's a weird weird thing i mean it's a neurotoxin yeah yeah i, I don't really ever want to lick anything that looks that gross especially you know um so that's a weird way to end that segment candace uh <laughs> on that note <laughs> on that note um i'm the Time to wrap up with a few few uh outro questions. Um I don't know, man. Ball, um, balls in your court, miss. 
Yeah, I, I think we can safely wrap up with um anything else that you guys want to add in, mention, talk about anything else in in the works. Now's your chance. Like let us hear it. Well, uh <laughs> I I am working on this third book. I, I really like my character still and uh she almost drives me. Uh, it's a funny thing when you create a, a strong character. Um, and I, it's, it's, it's very fluid now. I mean, I have, uh, it's just, it's like the story's almost writing itself. And I've never had that experience yet um, where things are moving rapidly. And um, maybe, you know, I've, I've plateaued. I have a certain understanding of my own ability and I, and I, I don't try to fight it so much. Um, don't try to manufacture. I try to just accept and believe uh, in my characters and see where they might go. Cause I don't really know what the ending is going to be or what the, uh, how it, how the characters will uh, be. Hmm. Christine Prusik is just an absolute badass man. That's why She's to me, she's very similar to Clarice Starling. They're both badasses in a field that was typically male dominated. Um, but they just they don't give a shit. They just do what they do and they kick ass at it. So it's it's really it's a really fascinating character. And the backstories in Stone Maidens and uh Maidens of the Cave that you've made, um that you kind of branched off. I'm I'm really interested to see who else from her world we haven't met yet um that you introduced possibly uh, i think that's that's probably what's gonna drive more readers to your books too is you, you got just these connections of familiar you know people like we all can relate to a christine or, or the you know the sheriff is he's, he's funny at he's times and too. yeah it's just yeah. <laughs> Uh, Candace, I don't want to step on your toes. Can we go to where can people follow yeah. you? Or... Yeah. Um, so Lloyd, I know you're not you're not on social media, but uh Marguerite, um, and correct me if I'm wrong there, please, but Marguerite, uh wanna tell us where people can follow y'all on TikTok? Yeah, our TikTok is uh at Stone Maidens, and on Instagram it's at stone.maidens. That's where we are. Candace, where can sorry. Uh, I'd like to add to um, just how grateful I am for the whole like book talk. And I think on Instagram, it's called bookstagram community. Mm. And we're, we're just really grateful. So I, I wanted to add that and thank you. And thank you for having us on here too. It means Absolutely. so much. Absolutely. Um, Candice, where can people follow you? Um, I am at uncomfortably dark dot com and you can find me on twitter instagram facebook tiktok under my name and i have a website also under my name so but find I'm me. <laughs> sorry find me pr mcdonough on uh pretty much just uh twitter i use instagram and uh i use instagram and facebook but that's for more personal stuff the show you can follow though on instagram tiktok twitter um, final thoughts, Lloyd and Marguerite. 
This has been so fun. And I just really, it's been great talking with you guys. Thank you. Those are my thoughts. I've enjoyed uh, listening to you both talk about your own process in writing. Uh, I think we need to bolster each other. One of the things I did on the Today Show was bring out three writers in Vermont that should be getting more attention. Again, it's it's one of those things for me. This happened because of my daughter, um, and I wanted to to bring it, pay it forward for three other writers then, That's and beautiful. they're doing pretty well now. But it's still it's a tough road. Let's face it. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, absolutely, Candice. It's amazing of you. Um, final thoughts for me. Thank you to you guys for your time. We know how incredibly busy you are. And this has been great. Um, Lloyd, all the luck to you on the third and whatever else you do after that. I can't wait to read the third one. And hey, you know, if you want to come back on, just let us know at any time. I yeah. would love that. Yeah, thank you. Of course. I, I echo what she said. Um, and I know Brennan would say thank you as well, but I appreciate both of you. You both have been so easy to talk to since the get-go. I, I really appreciate that. Um, I love the books. I can't wait for the third one. And uh, I just really, truly appreciate most of all for you, Lloyd and Marguerite, how much, how vulnerable you guys are. And I say that because like you're putting your love out there for each other and the rest of your family and whatnot in the world. And some people are mean. And I just think that that's awesome because if everyone did that, I feel like love would overcome all the negative, yeah. terrible shit. So really appreciate you guys. Um, Lloyd, I definitely going to keep sharing with you on Facebook. Uh, all my pictures of me and my boys. So <laughs> I'll be seeing you there, sir. Um, listeners, viewers, next episode is 225, Rowan Hill. We are very excited to talk to her again later on in the last year. Um, she's a blast. So always, the main choices in podcasts. Thank you for listening to us.